Okay, uh, let's have a look at this text then. Um, we are going to be looking at this idea, um, this teaching on um, elders. And uh, in some ways, th this sermon here is going to be me preaching about myself, preaching about my own job description. Um, but I, I believe that there are going to be some really good lessons in here that are going to set us up well for, for the future as well um, as a church. Um, we are, uh, just to set the scene, we're in Paul's third and final missionary journey. Um, we saw last week that he just started in a city called Ephesus. He took the good news there. Um, people responded in faith. Um, uh, but having said that, after a few years of teaching and, and, and performing some signs and wonders that really um, added emphasis to his gospel message, there was this riot that broke out in the city of Ephesus. A whole bunch of people did not want him there, didn't want his message, so they chased him and his pals out of town. And so after Ephesus, then Paul uh, and his team went on to Macedonia, which is uh, where Philippi is, um, and then further down to uh, what, what it calls Greece, which is uh, where Athens is. Remember that from a few weeks ago as well. So he, he's going back again, doing what we've seen a few weeks now, uh, strengthening the churches that he's already um, planted and ministered to. And this is his, this is his um, sort of missional strategy. So uh, we're sort of coming now to the end of his third missionary journey, and him and the team are on their way back to Jerusalem. It says they want to get back for the Feast of Pentecost. And so they're taking a boat, um, sort of making various stops along the, the rugged coast um, of the uh, of the inner Mediterranean, and today they have stopped, or in our text today, they've stopped at this port called Miletus or Miletus. Um, and at this point here, Paul is gathering elders from one of his churches, from the church of Ephesus. He's gathering his elders to him to address them from the boat. Now, for one reason or another, he hasn't gone back to Ephesus face to face, either because he's in a rush to get back to Jerusalem or because of the rioting. He didn't want to. He, he thought it wasn't safe. But either way, uh, they respond to his call, and he, he meets them in this port town called Miletus, rather than um, uh, home in Ephesus. Now, the interesting thing about this text here um, is that it is the only message in the entire book of Acts that is written or that is given to Christians. Every other message is given to um, unbelievers, whether they're from a Jewish background or from a pagan background or from a sort of God-fearing Gentile background or what have you. And this is the only one addressed to Christians. And the type of Christians that they're addressed to is, is leaders within the church called the elders. Um, and so what we see here in this text is Paul giving this sort of final charge, this <laughs> exhortation, you know, this great vision of what elders should be like and what, what they should be doing. So that's really going to form the backbone of our message uh, as we're going to think it through this morning. So first of all, uh, we're going to ask the question, number one, what are elders? I hope this text will shed some light on that. What are elders? Number two, what are they like? And thirdly and finally, what do they do? What are elders? What are they like? And what do they do? Okay, so what are elders? Verse 17 uh, tells us, that's their name, elders of the church. But there's other terms that this text uses to describe the same group of people. So if you flip down in your, in your text to verse 28, um, it says there, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's another technical name the Bible uses to describe uh, the spiritual leaders of the church, overseers. The Greek word is episkopoi. That's where we get our name, episcopal or episcopal church and bishops. So your overseers, your elders. And verse 28 as well, it's hidden in the Greek text. You can't really see it here in the ESV, but um, they're also called shepherds. Shepherds. 
See that, um, that word there? It says, he's made you overseers to care for the church of God. Um, to care for is the verb to shepherd, right, in the Greek. So they're elders, they're overseers, and they're shepherds, otherwise known as pastors. Um, that's the, the Latin word pastor is, is, is shepherd. That's where we get our word pastor from. So these are interchangeable terms, right? Every time we see them um, here in the book of Acts and in, in the book of Timothy and Titus, elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor, they all refer to one and the same role within the church, all right? Different facets of that same role, granted, um, but they're all referring to the same person. Uh, some churches you may have been to would maybe call the pastor, the guy uh, who's getting paid to do the job, he's the full-time dude, and the elders are sort of like non-full-time or non-paid leaders. Well, that's a sort of alien concept, right? The Bible doesn't give us that. Um, pastors are elders are overseers. They're all one and the same, all right? Different church traditions understand that differently, but that's where Scripture takes us. Okay, so what are elders? Uh, well, uh, we can say they are chosen by God to lead the church. In verse 28, we can see that. Um, you know, you, you guys, he says, you elders have been chosen uh, by the Holy Spirit. He's made you the overseers. Uh, God has called you and God has made you um, these elders. Yes, they may be affirmed by the church. They might be recognized by the church. Um, but primarily, elders are people who are called by God to exercise leadership and oversight and pastoring over over the church. They have oversight of all the church is and all the church does. Elders shepherd the flock of God. Okay? What does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? Well, if you think of a shepherd and what, what uh, he or she does in the, in the traditional sense of the word, uh, they bring the sheep uh, to the best places. They uh, bring the best out of the sheep. They want the sheep to grow. They want them to, to flourish. They want them to be nurtured. They want to lead the flock. Um, so that they may uh, enter new, you know, new ground. They may be safe. All that stuff. Uh, shepherds will go after weak sheep and support them. Shepherds will go after wandering sheep and restore them. Shepherds will keep them safe from their enemies by taking them on themselves. These are all the things that shepherds do in general, right? And this is applied then to the elders of the church. That is what you are to do, says God, uh, for the church. And in the context of this series that we've been looking at in the book of Acts so far, you know, advancing the gospel, um, it seems to be that elders are key to, to shaping this missional vision of the church. They are, they, they are key players in the advance of the gospel through the local church. Not that they're more important than everybody else, but as we'll see in a few moments' time, uh, it is crucial that you have good elders to drive the mission of the church. They will see pastures ahead, you know, uh, areas of blessing they believe God is calling the people to, and they will call the people and bring them with them. They will say, let's go forward. Let's go here. Let's go in this direction in order to know and experience and expand uh, the glory of God. Let's do this. Come on. Uh, a guy called PJ Smythe, who actually um, is, the, is the sort of the leader of the advance movement, is famous for saying, within certain circles, the world needs more elders. The world needs more elders. And the idea is this, that, that the more elders who live out their God-given, spirit-empowered, Christ-exalting mandate, the, the more healthy and powerful and exciting churches will be. And so if you have more elders, you have better churches. And therefore, if you have better churches, the more impact that will be made out there in 
the kingdom of darkness, pushing back the darkness and advancing the gospel so that people might receive eternal life in Jesus. So the world needs more elders. You can see where he gets that from. And so raising up great elders is part of Paul's missionary strategy. What Paul does time and again is he arrives in a place where people haven't heard the gospel. He, he evangelizes the church into existence. He forms the converts into a, a church. You know, he plants the church. And then he sets elders in every church to take over its long-term direction and leadership and prosperity. So, for example, we saw in, in his first missionary journey, in Acts chapter 14, uh, Paul uh, says, when they had appointed elders in every church that he had just planted, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then they left. Likewise, Paul writes to, to a, a young pastor called Titus, and he said to Titus, this is why I left you in the island of Crete, this is why I left you, so that you might put what remained into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So according to Paul, the church is not complete or it's not in order until elders were installed within the local church. Okay, It was a disordered church until that was performed. So in order to be a healthy, vibrant, missional church, there needs to be excellent elders. In order to keep a strong gospel vision, there needs to be excellent elders in order to implement it by equipping and facilitating ministry to advance the gospel of Jesus. There needs to be excellent elders. Therefore, elders are important. Of course, maybe it goes without saying, it must be said that excellent, healthy, biblical elders and eldership teams will, will set the course and enable uh, powerful gospel advance. But the reverse is also, unfortunately, uh, true. Poor elders, weak elders, or no elders at all, will lead to unhealthy, unbalanced churches that lack vision, that lead to churches that are stunted and weakened. And as in the words of the Apostle Paul, they are incomplete without excellent elders. Here at Foundation Church, um, the start particularly, uh, we said we are, we still say, we're Baptistic in polity, um, which means that we are a church that's led by elders, an elder team, ideally, a plurality, that's the fancy word, plurality of elders. Um, and just so you know, if you weren't with us from, from the very early days, uh, I, I, me, I'm the, alone, I'm the only pastor, I'm the only elder, um, the theory being that one elder is better than no elders, right? But uh, I just want you to know and remind you that uh, this isn't it, you know, that we are looking forward, I'm hoping for, looking forward to a, a team of elders, um, a group of guys di with diverse gifting and abilities and scope, yes, but this common responsibility and calling to shepherd and lead the people of God to the mission of God. And also another little uh, sidebar as well, just in case you haven't been with us from the start. When I, when I sometimes refer to elders, I'm referring to them as men in the, the masculine term. Um, as a church, we believe in complementarianism, which is the idea that it's clear in the Bible um, that the role of elder is reserved for men. It's the only role 
um, in the church that seems to be referred, uh, reserved for men. It's been the practice across the church for two millennia. It's only really in recent decades that this has been challenged. And so when I say um, elders, I'm referring to men. What are elders, therefore? Elders are a team of gospel-centered, spirit-empowered elders who build community on mission. That's what elders are. So what we'll be doing in a few moments' time when we come to the end of the sermon is praying for more, because they're pretty important, right? Praying for more, praying for better elders to come and serve us. Okay, so what are elders? There we are. What are they like? This is really getting more into the meat now of what Paul is talking about. What are they like? This is so you know what we're shooting for. Uh, Paul's message, when you, when you read it, take, take, maybe read it again you know, in a few, few moments, um, it reads like a defense. Like he's, like he's um, you know, uh, standing up, uh, promoting himself. Because it seems to be that uh, people have been undermining his character. They've been speaking against him. Uh, saying he's just in it for the money or he's just in it for the glory. And so he's sort of mounting a bit of a defense to anticipate that. But it's more than just a defense. Uh, Paul is, is laying out his life, uh, playing for all to see, as an example. Because in a few moments' time, we're going to see that he is then going to be calling the elders of that particular church, and therefore us through, through them, he's going to be calling elders to follow his example. You know, he says um, in, in verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. And he's saying to the elders, look, you, you know what I was like. You know how I conducted myself when I was with you, how I behaved. You know my heart. You know it was with humility and, and trials and tears. I poured out my life for you. So in this text, we see Paul showing himself as an example to the Ephesian elders and, and also to us, to every elder pastor um, through to now. And so we're going to spend a few moments just examining what exactly elders are like. But as we do that, I want you to keep three sort of applications in mind as we go through this. First of all, I want you to think about, uh, you know, when, when we see what Paul expects from elders, you will know then what is expected of, of me as your, as your elder, as your pastor. Um, so you can hold me accountable, so you know what I'm trying to do as well. All right, so that's the first application. You can also, um, when, when you're thinking about these things we're going to look at in a moment, uh, you could be thinking then about other, other, other guys that we are going to be considering for this role as well. Do they start to model what we're saying here? Okay, so me, others. And thirdly, if you think you are being called into eldership or pastoral, ministry. This is what you have to shoot for. All right. This is what you're expected to behave like according to the Apostle Paul. So what are they like? What are elders like? Well, we can summarize what Paul says under two headings. Elders have a heart for the gospel and elders have a heart for the flock. Okay. Heart for the gospel and heart for the flock. That's what they're like. That's how you know you're a business. All right. Heart for the gospel, where do we get that from? It's just shot through this entire text. And let's look at verse 19, for example. Paul says, I was serving the Lord with all humility and trials um, and tears. In verse 21, he says, I was testifying, both to Jews and Greeks, of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. In verse 24, he said, I received this ministry from the Lord Jesus. What is it? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel. 
So when you add all these things together, and that's not the only references we'll find in this text, Paul expects elders to have a heart for the gospel. They are to be gospel-centered, plus, plus, plus. How does this manifest? What, is it, what does this look like practically to have a heart for the gospel? Well, um, the, first of all, an elder is to be fearless. Right? His heart for the gospel will drive him to be fearless. Paul says twice, I did not shrink back from teaching you the gospel. Even when it was hard to teach you the gospel, when it cost me, when it was painful for me to speak it, when it was painful for you to hear it, in verse 20 and verse 27, I did not soften the edges of the gospel. I did not pull the punches of the gospel. I gave you both barrels. And it hurt me, but I did it. If you have a heart for the gospel, you will be fearless. You will not shrink back. Another way this is manifested is in commitment. Paul just shows time and again in this text that he was getting the gospel out there. He says in verse 20, You know, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything I thought was profitable. I was teaching you in public, in big public gatherings. I was teaching you in house to house. I was advancing the gospel between Jews and Greeks. I went anywhere and spoke the gospel to anyone. This is someone who is completely committed to sharing the gospel. He has a heart for the gospel that leads to commitment. Thirdly and finally, this manifests itself as someone who is incredibly hard working because he loved Jesus, he loved the gospel, he worked hard. Verse 33 and 35 He wasn't in it for the money. He worked with his own hands so that he would not be a burden on the church and so so that he could help the weak. He could supply for his team. He was a hard-working guy. Today we call that bivocational ministry. And that's where you have two jobs, kind of like me. You know, you work for for money and you work for the church. Uh, The church doesn't pay you so much money, sure it doesn't. But, uh, you know, bivocational, right? That's one way you can do it. At times, bivocational ministry, like we see Paul doing here, is really expedient. It really gets the wheels turning quicker. It is missionally powerful. It's not for everybody all the time, but it certainly has worked for us and worked for me. But anyway, either way, if you have a heart for the gospel, you will see elders who are fearless, who are committed, who are hardworking. That's how you know. Is that you? Is that me? Not only do elders have a heart for the gospel, number two, they have a heart for the flock. right? Because it is completely possible for someone to love the gospel, love Jesus, love their theology, love their textbooks, but yet when it comes to interacting with the flock, they seem to be on a different planet. They love the gospel, they love the flock. And just time and again, the more you read through this, this passage, the more Paul's passion and his tenderness and his... His love for his people comes out. Twice in the text, he said he was ministering to them with tears. In verse 20, verse 31, I did not cease day and night to admonish everyone with tears. It's a passionate guy. Loved his people. He, he writes, in fact, in 1 Thessalonians 2, you know, the letter to the Thessalonican church, He says, you know, I loved you so much, I didn't just share the gospel with you, but I shared my life as well. And this is what we see him doing here. He was deeply involved with his people. He loved them, and it seems to be, uh, particularly in in the Ephesian church, they loved him back, it was reciprocated. Look at verses 36 to 38. 
You know, after his talk was over and they were saying goodbye and they knelt down and prayed all together, uh, there was weeping on the part of all of them. They embraced Paul and they kissed him. They thought they were never going to see him again, and yet this outpouring of emotion and love, so much love between the shepherd and the sheep. Members of Foundation Church Belfast, I hope that you know you are loved. I hope you know and experience that love from your pastor elder. You see, elders and pastors should never be aloof or disconnected from their people. And so here at Foundation Church, you have my promise that we will know nothing here of that celebrity pastor attitude that we sometimes see among others. Pastors who are too busy being awesome or looking cool or promoting themselves while the flock are feeling disconnected and just used to get to where he wants to be. That's never going to happen here. So here's how you know, member of Foundation Church, here's how you know you are being led by good shepherds. Your heart for the gospel is increasing. Your heart for the flock is increasing. Is this happening in your experience? Because if it is, then that's awesome. Praise God, right? Something's working. He's working in you and, and somewhere along the line I'm doing my duties. I'm doing a job that is worthy of him. Is your heart increasing for the gospel? Is your heart increasing for the flock? More, more than that. In the future, as we go forward in the next few weeks and months, I'm, I'm going to be suggesting and proposing some new events uh, that we're going to put together as a church, some new ways that we can build our community deeper. I'm going to be suggesting some new gatherings and, and new times and together in corporate worship. But listen, when I do that, this is all about trying to increase our heart for the gospel and trying to increase our love for one another. That is the motivation behind this. Such practical suggestions and changes that I'm going to bring before you are not just another event in your already full diary jostling for position. Things that I'm trying to lead us to are of fundamental importance in increasing your heart for Jesus and increasing your love for one another. That's my aim. That's what I'm trying to do as your shepherd. So can I encourage you, grab a hold. Grab a hold, lean in, go with. Let's, let's advance the gospel together. So we've seen what elders are. Pastors, overseers, shepherds. What are they like? Heart for the gospel, heart for the flock. Thirdly and finally, I want to touch on this. What do they do? What does a pastor do? What are they supposed to do? Let's start there. What is this pastor or elder supposed to do? And by the way, if I, if I say one or the other, I mean the same person, right? I don't, don't mean to um, give you two roles. What do they do? So, verse 28. This is key. This is key. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
That is a full <laughs> sentence right there. It is packed with information. Pay careful attention. The Greek word that, you know, it says pay, pay careful attention. There's three words in English, but the Greek word, there's only one Greek word, prosiko. And it means this. It means watch out. It means be on your guard. It means stay on your toes. And as you do that, care for the flock. Be on your guard when you care for the flock. Pastor the flock as a shepherd. Be on your guard. That's what they do. But note how high the stakes are. This is the church of God we're talking about that he obtained with his own blood. We couldn't be more important what we're doing here and what, I, what pastors are supposed to be doing. It is not your own church, God says to the pastors. You don't own these people. They are not your employees. You are performing a job on behalf of their owner, their Lord and God. The sheep belong to him. They don't belong to the shepherds. That's obvious, but we, we forget it so often. They were obtained with his blood, not your blood. He didn't save them. He saved them perfectly, wonderfully, eternally, completely. Look at what he did to purchase his sheep. Look at what he did to win them. He gave his own son who spilled his own blood. The stakes are high. They are not your sheep. Therefore, pay careful attention. Wake up. Why? Why should they pay careful attention? Or rather, what will happen if elders don't pay careful attention to God's flock that he purchased with his own blood? Well, he carries on, doesn't he, in verse 29. He says, I know that after I go, fierce wolves are going to come in among you and they are not going to spare the flock. They're going to destroy the church. They're going to maim the flock. They're going to cause harm. They're going to try and tear them to pieces. That is what happens when you fall asleep on the watch. When you fail to pay attention. He goes on in verse 30. He says, there will even be some from among your own selves who will come in and destroy and do harm. That is why you have to be alert, shepherd. That is why day and night you have to work to pastor the flock. Who are these wolves that he's talking about? And how do they operate? Well, um, they're false teachers. How do we know that? Well, in verse 30, it says that, uh, you know, these, these, these people, these men will arise uh, from your own selves, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Speaking twisted things. It's their words. It's their teachings that make them fierce wolves. So he says you're in for a fight, shepherds, pastors, elders, get ready, pay careful attention. You are going to get attacked at the level of teaching, at the level of the gospel, at the level of the saving message that Jesus went to the cross and died in your place and rose on the third day so you might have life and forgiveness of sins. That is the area that they are going to get to you. These wolves will twist that teaching because as we saw a few weeks ago, the gospel is the beating heart of the church. And so that is why these false teachers will go after the beating heart of the church. They will twist it. They will subvert the message. They will alter it until the church is devastated and utterly devoured. So how then are pastor elders to do the job? They are to pay careful attention. Pay careful attention. Do you notice in verse 28, it says, there's two areas of focus, foci. 
two areas for them to pay attention. Pay attention, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. Seems to be that they have to look in two ways at once, right? The pastor has to pay attention to himself, themselves, and to the flock. That's how they do it. That's how they operate. So first of all, elder pastors are to keep guard of themselves. You know, if the enemy wants to destroy a church, then of course the enemy's going to start with the elders. And then he's going to start with the shepherds. He's going to try and cut them off. Because if you can get the shepherds, then the sheep are easy prey. You can pick them off one by one, no bother at all. And there is, of course, a disproportionate damage when elders or pastors go astray. It seems to be pretty pretty frequent, unfortunately, with great sadness, desperate sadness, that there is this continual and steady flow of high-profile Christian leaders and pastors um, who have fallen into grievous sin, who have been attacked by fierce wolves and have been taken out of the game, whether it's through sexual misconduct or gross financial irregularities or abuse of leadership, or aggressive behavior, or any of these things and more. That is because the enemy has got them. They have not been paying careful attention. They've not been obeying these words of Scripture. They've not been paying attention to themselves. They have allowed a slip or a pattern of behavior to take hold of them, and then they're out of the game, and the church is reeling. If we need healthy full-hearted elders, we need to keep watch of ourselves. And of course, there's a, there's a personal element to that, right? That elders have to keep watch of their own selves. That means that, that we or I have to, have to keep on and, and want to keep on uh, feasting on the means of grace, as they call it in the old days. You know, the, the way that God supplies his love and his grace and his life you know, we have to feast on God's word, we feast on prayer, we can enjoy God. Uh, the Apostle Paul, through his letters, shows how uh, he has cultivated this communion with, with Jesus, step by step, every day of his life, enjoying life in the Spirit. That's, that's what pastor elders are to do. This personal responsibility, it means practically taking time out to refresh taking time to learn, worshipping in solitude. It might mean going to conferences or retreats or even just taking a holiday. So that the pastor can keep guard of himself. But you all have a, you all have a responsibility as well um, for that. It's not just um, personal, uh, you know, of, of uh, taking care of or, um, how do we say it, keeping guard of your pastor elder. We have at this church internal uh, accountability structures, you know, um, you, the membership is to hold the eldership to account. That's, that's, that's your role, that's, that's what we do together. That's why we have a statement of faith that clearly describes what we believe. Therefore, if I start veering off of that or start teaching something else, you get to come to me and say, look, you either get back on track or you go because this is what... And so we have a statement of faith, we have a, a covenant, a membership covenant, we have a church constitution. These documents are one of the ways that you hold me accountable and vice versa um, for the health and the unity and the protection of our church. So personally, I keep myself uh, under guard. Internally, we do that. And externally, as well, there's a responsibility. And that's one of the benefits of, of this advanced movement that we're hopefully joining later on in the year. We benefit as a, as a, as a local church from outside voices speaking in. Voices that we invite. Voices that, that, that we trust, you know, that through we've built relationship with. But voices and people that can speak in and help out when we need it. 
um, that can help me to pay careful attention to myself and us as a church. That's just another level of this sort of accountability uh, structure that God gives his church. So pay careful attention to yourself. That's how they do it. First and foremost, elder pays careful attention to himself. But secondly, um, and probably more practically for your purposes, um, takes care of all the flock. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. So how does Paul propose that we do that? Well, he shows again through this passage and elsewhere that the primary way that elders are to pay careful attention to the flock is through the word. It's through the gospel of Jesus. It is through the truth as God reveals himself in and through Christ as found in the scriptures. That's how you pastor the flock. It is these foundational beliefs upon which all else is based, whether it's our practice or our ministry or our ethics. That's how you pastor the flock with the word of God. If that gets eroded or undermined or decentralized, then it's a slow and painful death for the church. Mark my words. And that's why we see Paul's approach, how he poured himself out with humility, with tears, in and out of houses, in public, in day and night. It was all about the gospel of Jesus for Paul. That's how he pastored the church. And therefore, that's how we are to pastor the church, with the word of God. Elders, by the way, have authority within the church, but that authority does not come from themselves or from, from their gifting, or from the force of their personality, or anything like that. Their only authority comes from the Word of God. It's a, it's a declarative authority. We declare what God has already said. That's where the authority comes from. That's how pastors pastor. It's a bit of a, uh, I don't know, bugbear of mine, I suppose, but there's a, lot, there's a lot today that goes by the title of pastor. And a lot of people call themselves pastors, but they're not primarily ministering the word of God to the flock. They're doing loads of other stuff, but they're not ministering the word of God. And let me just say this, just to be clear, any pastor who is not primarily ministering the gospel word, according to Paul, is not a real pastor. There are loads of other jobs in the church that need done, I get that. There are other needs, there are other leadership positions, but it's just confusing to call everyone who does jobs and has a responsibility a pastor. It's not all about doing a job. It's about bringing the gospel of grace to bear on the flock in some form or other. That's what a pastor is. That's what a pastor does. So, pastors and elders are to take on the false teachers. We've seen that. They are to go to war if necessary to protect the sheep. Therefore, they cannot fall asleep at the post. They cannot fail to, to, to back off. They cannot fail to go slow the worst thing that an elder or pastor can do is be complacent, to think that all is good. The sun is shining, that we're in this lovely pasture here, we can just chill out. There's no issues here whatsoever. That's the worst thing a pastor or elder can do. You know, just have the, have the, the role or a title of pastor, but actually, week to week, they're not really pastoring the flock, right? Because that's when you get caught out. That's when the church will start to suffer. Let me just say this, in just referring to ourselves here at Foundation Church. Uh, weak or complacent elders and pastors should just be sacked. Within Foundation Church, other churches too, but you know we, don't, we, we can't speak about them. Weak or complacent elders 
or pastors should just be sacked. Because their role is to pay careful attention. Protect the flock. Holding out the gospel of truth. Teaching and admonishing. Showing the flock how it works on a personal level. Showing how it works on a gathered level. Pay close attention. If they're not doing that, then what are they doing? Conclusion. Elders must be gospel-centered, plus, plus, plus. They must be spirit-empowered, plus, plus, plus. They must be builders of community or mission, plus, plus, plus. Elders have a heart for the gospel. Elders have a heart for the church. And when pastors and elders are full of heart for the gospel and heart for the church, the church will flourish. The gospel will advance. No doubt about that. That is God's intention. That is Paul's teaching. And so let's lean in. Let's enjoy what he has for us. And let's pray for more. More elders. Strength of elders. Let's pray for training. Let's pray for equipping. Let's give ourselves to following well, to honouring those who are over us, to the glory of God.